Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Maroos, founder and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Marketers and product teams spend heavily on acquiring a customer, only to churn them with a bad first experience. Fraud is very quickly becoming the key element of that bad experience. In fact, research finds that payment fraud has increased by as much as 70% since last year. More than ever, we need a new way of looking at fraud prevention, one that deeply inspects user behaviors before, during, and after the time of purchase, helping move money fast and without risk, improving the overall customer outcome. I'm excited to have Simon Taylor and Subs Ranjan from Sardine on the Banking Transform podcast. We discussed why security and risk management leaders need to focus on the ROI, false positive rates, and customer experience to protect the entire payment process. It was said by one of our guests today that faster payments actually opens the door to faster fraud. As the entire payments ecosystem is built around instant payments, consumers are increasingly vulnerable to social engineering attacks where they are convinced to buy something that they never wanted or never really arrives or to invest in a scam. The holy grail is to be able to get ahead of the payments fraud while not negatively impacting customer experience. So, Soups and Simon, um, thank you for very much for being on the show today. Before we start, can you give us a little bit of a background about both of your careers up to this point, but also how Sardine was formed and a little bit about what your firm does? So I'll start with you, Simon. Yeah, so uh, regular listeners will know the voice. Uh, Simon Taylor, I was one of the founders of uh, 11FS, the boutique advisory firm in the UK, um, regularly blogging at FinTech Brain Food. But my career is, you know, I worked in banking for five years for Barclays and before that in the payments industry for five years and pretty much did a tour of duty around every department, delivering every different type of financial product from the early days of mobile uh, right through to uh, faster payments in the UK, SEPA implementations, um, and quite a lot of experience working with all of the departments. So if you're an operator out there or you work in a bank, um, I've probably done um, something close to your job or worked with somebody in your team at some point uh, in, in a past life. Um, and now joining Sardine, um, you know, was really about getting excited about the opportunity in front of uh, you know, faster payments around crypto, around the future. Um, and I think Soups is really well-placed to sort of tell that story about, you know, who we are. And perhaps then everybody will see why I got so excited. So Soups, you have an interesting background. Do you want to share that a little bit? And then also what um, Sardine actually is focused on? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, <clears throat> so my background is, uh, you know, I, I have uh, worked in cybersecurity, payment payment fraud, and ad-click fraud pretty much for my entire career. I got into payment fraud about seven, eight years ago when I uh, joined Coinbase to head their risk and data team. Uh, was there for about four years. And then after that, I uh, went to Revolut, the UK-based uh, neobank, to head financial crime for them first, and then later to head crypto. Uh, my, my, I met my co-founders at Revolut, uh, Adi and Zahid. Uh, Adi uh, launched Revolut in the U.S. and we worked together to launch U.S. Uh, crypto for Revolut. And Zahid uh, was a product manager on my team. 
and Zahid's background is also uh, uh, yeah, like a former fraud fighter. He has uh, built fraud prevention detection for companies like PayPal and Uber in prior life. So we've assembled a team of uh, folks who have built systems internally in their companies to, uh, to, to fight fraud. And what we've done at Sardine is yeah, uh, all under the theme of safer, faster payments. Uh, we have built a product suite where first product is all about fraud and compliance in one unified API. We service about 150 fintech and crypto exchanges, including Brex, FTX, uh, Belt Simple, uh, Chipper Cash, etc. Uh, all of whom are using us to either detect fraud at account opening or detect fraud, uh, you know, when money is moving into the account, like we call that account funding fraud, or finally to detect uh, fraud, which we call issuing fraud as well, whenever you're swiping the card. So that's the first product. The second product that we've launched recently is our crypto on-ramp. So now you can uh, use Sardine to purchase crypto on popular browsers like Brave or popular uh, uh, Web3 wallets like MetaMask. Um, and if you really think about it, uh, it's all under the theme of safer faster payments, as I said earlier, right? So one of the most critical things when it comes to purchasing crypto is solving for fraud and compliance issues uh, appropriately, which is why we got into this business of, you know, uh, uh, a crypto on-ramp where you connect a bank account or connect your card and we can give you much higher conversion rates and also deliver crypto into your wallet while taking on the fraud risk. And there's a third product which we just recently uh, announced. We call it Risk Insights. That's all about you know uh, closing the visibility gap between traditional finance like banks as well as new finance which are uh, fintech and crypto exchanges. As in, how do we share data from uh, amongst both parties such that we can actually uh, reduce fraud and increase conversion rates when you are purchasing crypto using a card or when you are loading money into a wallet using ACH debits. And I can get into more depth later. Yeah, Simon, you know, many times the fighting of fraud negatively impacts speed, simplicity, and ultimately the customer experience. How can firms address both these, both the fraud and customer experience at the same time? And I, I know that's what your, your solution does, but how does that happen? I mean, because it's, it's all about that seamless integration while still staying ahead of what's going on in the fraud world. It, what blew, several things blew my mind when I first met Soups. But the first thing was that he said he spent the first two years at Coinbase adding friction and the next two years removing <laughs> it. And I think that the default motion for preventing fraud is to add friction. But actually, there's this thing called a false positive. And the false positive says that, hey, we've put in some friction to try and catch fraud and we've stopped a consumer from making a transaction. But a good consumer uh, may have just been trying to pay their grandma. They might have trying to been deal with a bill. They might have been in crisis. There might have been something that was not normal for them. And what did you do as a financial institution? You just stopped them from living their life. You just stopped them from doing whatever it is that they were trying to do. And the false positives are often measured in ratios. So like when I first broke into the payments industry, 
20 false positives to one actual case of fraud was kind of industry standard. We got that down to 10, we got that down to five, and constantly compressing that is really, really important. The easiest way to uh, kind of solve that, of course, is to just let all of the fraud happen. But then on the other side of that, now all of your customers are complaining that they got defrauded and they're blaming you and you have a reputational risk. And you've got this other kind of friction, which is starting to happen to some of the neobanks and, and de novo digital banks, which is suddenly their card stops working. Suddenly, um, I think there was a famous case where I, I think it was Chime cards no longer work with Hertz Rent-A-Car, and it happens to many others. I don't mean to pick on those right. guys, and I'm sure they're, they're working hard to resolve it. But the card just stops working. And what does that mean for your complaints? What does that mean for your customer experience? So you have to, it's almost, I'm thinking of the image of a, a judge, you know, like the, the two sides of the law. You have to balance both sides of this equation. You have to get false positives down so that good customers can just transact freely, faster, safer. But you also, at the same time, have to ensure that you are preventing fraud. Otherwise, you end up in the industry's naughty lists, like the chargeback programs and everywhere else. And other banks, other big financial institutions will start blocking you. So there's friction on both sides. And I think that was the insight from, from Soups that, that was one of the many where I went, okay, if we want to make finance better, like the keystone, the middle, the thing we have to solve is risk and compliance and fraud. If we solve that, everything else starts to make sense. And I'm always looking for where can you have the most impact to consumers, to society, to the economy. And I believe that's in financial services because if you change how money works, you change everything else. And within financial services, it's always risk, fraud, and compliance. That's the real superpower of fintech to my mind, Jim. Well, it's interesting, Soups, you know, when I think about what Simon just said, you know, there are financial institutions that aren't even integrating with other providers because of their risk aversion. So, you know, I, I often talk about the fact that the avoidance of risk, what we really need to do is manage risk. But managing risk is a, is a careful balance also because you see, as, as Simon mentioned, you have fintech firms, you have services like uh, buy now, pay later that if you get too loose, it immediately takes you over and it messes things up and it messes up everybody's customer experience. So really, it, the, the, the answer then is to build a solution that's much more effective without impacting the speed, correct, Soups? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, in fact, you know, if, you, if you really look into it, right, like most of uh, the neo banks and crypto exchanges, uh, if, if you dig deeper and look at, you know, uh, uh, all consumer complaints, right? Majority of them are because of some fraud or compliance issue gone wrong, right? right? It's either a false positive from a fraud point of view or a KYC step gone wrong, et cetera. So oftentimes, yeah, uh, fraud and compliance are at loggerheads with customer experience. However, we actually think it shouldn't be so. It that that and they end up being at loggerheads because most of the time when uh, entrepreneurs are building the fintech app or they're building the crypto exchange. They don't put fraud and compliance front and center. It's always an afterthought. And, uh, you know, uh, then they have these quick knee-jerk reactions when a fraud event happens and they add a lot of friction. But what we are trying to do is to change that status quo. And we're trying to get ahead of the curve here and, and let entrepreneurs know that, hey, 
you know, that's not the right way of solving for it because, you know, eventually you will pay a huge price in terms of poor customer experience. People will start preferring, you know, that other fintech app, which does uh, uh, customer experience much better because they solve for fraud and compliance issues head on. So just stay with you, Suits. You know, one yeah. of the major dynamics with financial institutions is, as you said, they keep on adding levels to what based on what's happened in the past. How do you convince a, a crypto firm, a fintech, or a traditional bank to rethink that whole risk avoidance function to say, you've got to give this alternative a try as opposed to this being just another layer? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the way we do it is, you know, uh, one, one of our observations was that uh, people uh, were not really relying on behavior data very much uh, at the time of you know account opening or account funding to detect fraud. So that is the key observation we had, and that is uh, the first product that we built. We call it device intelligence and behavior biometrics. So what we uh, what we do often is that you know, most of the fast growing or already established fintech or crypto firms, they already have KYC in place, right? So we can't go in and say, hey, replace your KYC with Sardine's KYC. But what, but what is the truth though, is that pretty much all of them have a fraud problem. And in fact, when I was at Coinbase, 90% of uh, fraudulent uh, returns and chargebacks that we used to get used to come from fully verified identities. So therefore fraud is all veg. And what we go in into uh, financial institutions and crypto firms uh, into, into them uh, and offering them is that saying that, hey, look, fraud is a problem for you. You already have KYC. Install our SDK uh, at the time of you know, uh, account opening and account funding. It's really 20 lines of code in JavaScript at a very lightweight 100 kilobytes worth of Android or iOS SDK. What this SDK does is it actually looks at users' innate intrinsic behavior, right? How do you type? Uh, you know, how do you move the mouse? How do you swipe and scroll? Because what we have observed is that, let's say I stole Simon's uh, identity, his social security number, then I'm going to be distracted while typing it. I'll type one character at a time. I'll contact switch into another window, look it up, come back and type. Essentially, I'm doing what is known as segmented typing. Or I will, uh, you know, if I'm using his, uh, his card details to buy crypto somewhere, then I'll copy paste his card number. And further, maybe I want to, you know, uh, not sh reveal my my device identity. So I'm going to install uh, a, a mobile virtual machine or a mobile emulator. And finally, I will also use a proxy or a VPN. And even further, like sometimes fraudsters go uh, even further. You know, oftentimes you'll see that they uh, are using a script to remotely program a mobile device, and therefore you will find that you know somebody is typing, but the phone is kept upside down. Right. So we collect all of this very, very rich and detailed data. And that is our true innovation that we are able to collect all of this in real time, all this telemetry in real time and do a heavy duty machine learning in real time and give you these signals, you know, within a second to tell you whether, you know, it is me using my own identity or I used Simon's identity or Simon's payment method. Yeah, Jim, if I could just say, like, how on earth do you type 
on the phone screen whilst the phone is upside down or on the floor. Like it, it, it just makes no. So, so the, there are all of these things that you don't look at. Uh, I was speaking to one of the sardine clients earlier who said, um, you know, we thought when we built this company that we'd done compliance because we put in KYC checks. We didn't realize that most of the fraud was going to come from people who pass KYC. And that's because lots of identities are stolen. Right. And you can trivially buy a stolen identity. It's very, very cheap, you know, uh, less than $100. If some cases, 20, you know, it's super cheap to buy um, a fake identity, right. a real identity that will work. Um, but to Soup's point, the way you detect that is with the signature moves, with the things that they're doing, because there are certain things you will do having never signed up for a product before. You'll take a little bit longer. You know, you, you're you not an expert at signing up for fintech apps, but experts at signing up for fintech apps give away that they're experts just in, in the way they behave, the way they manage the device, right. et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I, I, that to me just struck me as like detective work. It's just, it's constant and it's evolving and it's it's ever present. Well, that's interesting because that's, I mean, that's something that Apple did with their Apple card is that they're not just looking at what you imp, what you put into the f- fields, but like where your phone is compared to where you're supposed to be and all those d- different dynamics. You know, it's interesting, Simon, you know, one of the things that was mentioned in uh, one of the write-ups I wrote, read about Sardine was that you're implementing a, a concept called fraud as a service or fraud protection as a service, actually. Why should traditional banks and fintech firms care about this? Besides the obvious. Yeah, no, the, the, the traditional um, sort of challenge that I think a lot of organizations had, especially fintech companies and startups, was it takes 15, 16, 17 different vendors to get your fraud performance where you want it to be. And integrating all of that with 15 different contracts, with 15 different dashboards, 15 different APIs is a heavy lift. Now, large financial institutions have probably already integrated more than that into their stack, but you could always be better. And so from a sardine perspective, we don't say you have to take the whole thing or nothing. We say, take the bit we're best at and we'll help you improve elsewhere as well. The second side of it is one of the things that I've found when I've spoken with sardine clients is they absolutely love that this is almost like hiring an extension of your fraud team. We are constantly looking at everything we're seeing in our um, client um, base and that we're seeing in, frankly, some of the most high-risk sectors in crypto and in fintech. And we're updating how the machine learning models work based on that data, based on stuff that a traditional financial institution would never see. But we see into that. Um, We call it peering into black holes. And so what we'd like to do is even just share that data for the fraud models of the large financial institutions. And that's one of the products we offer called Risk Insights. So it's kind of thinking a bit differently about rather than as being just a point solution for a small company, we can be almost the entire fraud and compliance and risk department. Uh, whereas for a very large company, we can probably make a difference because we we peer into these black holes. And uh, as Soup said, then the middle piece, the missing piece, is with faster payments comes faster fraud. We can also deal with the emerging threats and risks. And as people worry about the scams and hacks happening across things like Zelle and Venmo and Cash App and, and those peer-to-peer payments types, 
really, really helpful to see more data, to peer into black holes, to understand that, and to already have views on, on how you manage it. So that that kind of is how I think about that, Jim. You know, it's, it's interesting, Supes, you know, obviously improving fraud protection builds customer trust. That said, there's been a great deal of industry concern around the f- rise of fraud at, at Zelle and other payment platforms. How can financial institutions and really the overall ecosystem of payments stay ahead of fraudsters? Because everything you implement, you know, there's somebody working to say, how do we get beyond what you're doing? How do you stay ahead of it? Actually, there's a, a couple of different ways, right? So number one, uh, you know, uh, what we realized is that, uh, you know, it's, it's always going to be a game of cat and mouse. But uh, there are certain things which are very, very intrinsic to a fraudster's behavior. And if we start looking at that, then uh, without them realizing that we are observing their intrinsic behavior, then we will be able to you know, uh, stay ahead of them in one way. For example, right? Like, uh, uh, I'll give you one example. If I have stolen thousands of credit cards and I'm you know, going to my favorite crypto exchange and I'm you know, creating thousands of accounts and uh, adding each of them one by one, pretty soon I'll become very much familiarized with the account opening process which means that the way I move the mouse on my screen is going to look very, very different because I'm very familiar with the environment. As opposed to Simon, who's going to that crypto exchange for the first time and using his own identity, he'll be kind of browsing all over the place, right? So that is one intrinsic behavior pattern. The second way, you know, we think that we can stay ahead of the curve is by essentially building the largest uh, data consortium, which is only about, you know, loading money into a wallet. Right. There are there exist lots of consortiums. There have been built lots of consortiums, but I would argue most of them were built for solving for e-commerce fraud. Like, am I using a stolen card to buy high value goods at an e-commerce store? But no one has really uh, cracked the nut when it comes to uh, building a data sharing consortium, which ties together data from big banks, processors, fintechs, new banks, crypto exchanges. And that is the second part that we want to do. And if we are successful in that, then we, uh, what we see in one, uh, one, one uh, fintech or crypto exchange can uh, act as an early warning signal to help the others. You know, it's interesting, Simon, we talked about this offline, but, you know, for a good fraud solution is really not just a back office plug and play solution. It really has to be embedded in the entire organization, the culture, and in the way people do business overall. And that's true with anything even outside of the fraud area. But I heard you worked with blockchain.com and you helped them actually implement a program and that they supported where both the fraud area and the payments team were actually the same team as they looked at fraud. Can you explain this a little bit? Actually, it's interesting you say that, Jim. We just published the case study. So hot off the presses on sardine.ai, you'll you'll find this case study where blockchain, as you say, crashed together their fraud and payments team. And you wonder, why would they do that? Well, it turns out you get lower fraud and you get better business results. And I think that's what a lot of listeners really, really care about. So from take a business like blockchain.com their lifeblood is conversion of the first wallet funding right. so a bit like the direct deposit is to a financial institution the ability to move money to confidently load money into that wallet is mission critical if something goes wrong the consumer has a bad experience and churns out and never becomes a customer or may never become a customer and if something goes right 
fantastic, but now it's got to continue to go right in the future, otherwise they 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 may churn out. And from Sardine's own data across our client base, we find that wallet funding, as his soups put it, a coin toss. You have a 50% chance of being declined when you go to fund a wallet. Uh, whereas with our clients, we can get that up to 94, 98% in some cases by changing the payment method and by understanding the infrastructure and managing the fraud. So that's nearly double the amount of customers walking through the door for a fintech company. And that's meaningful. I mean, if you can move that conversion rate up, that's hugely valuable. So blockchain said since they've been partnering with Sardine and they they sort of adopted this model, their conversion rate is up at least 10%. And they expect to see that continue to rise as they partner deeper with us. 10% more customers is very different to making a slight difference elsewhere in the stack. So really, the case for deeply understanding fraud is is kind of huge on the new revenue side, but they've also meaningfully reduced fraud in the process. And how did they do that? Well, they made one team, one set of priorities, one set of OKRs. And what they did is they removed that historically adversarial relationship where the payments team wants the fraud controls to be looser and the fraud team wants to put in more rules. And they worked together and said, how do we treat this less like a machete and more like a scalpel? How do we go find those good customers? To benefit both sides, obviously. To benefit both sides. Exactly right. And Simon, you know, you, you've been on the road quite a bit. I know that. And and you're meeting all these financial firms that obviously fraud protection is like mom and apple pie. It's all good. However, you're getting organizations that don't buy it. Don't buy what your solution is. Maybe don't buy the updated fraud um, pr- products out there. What do you see as the biggest reason why organizations either say no or say, you know what? Uh, give me some time. Not right now. What what gets in the huh. way of when we have this often when we interview companies and we say, geez, this sounds so logical that why would anybody say not right now or and it's more than just the money thing. But what why would people say no? I, I can take that. Uh, OK, yeah, we, yeah we, we like to say that, you know, uh, a lot of pro- people think that fraud isn't a problem until it is the only problem. Right. Yeah. And it only takes so, a second. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Like water, like water always moves to the the lowest ground, right? right. So it's the same thing, right? If you don't actually, uh, you know, take care of fraud, you know, fraudsters are actually going to find you. Uh, they are very creative. We've seen like fintech apps, you know, launch without any fraud protection on the app store, and you know, uh, they don't attract any good users, but they do attract a lot of fraudsters the moment they launch. Why? Because these guys are like, you know, waiting. They're waiting for the next victim, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so therefore, yeah, it, it, it will require like a, uh, a change in, in behavior. Uh, but we think that, you know, uh, the tides are shifting. If you think about it, let's say 10, 15 years ago, uh, I would argue that, yeah, security and the security industry, uh, was in similar boat as what fraud industry is today. Right. Especially, you know, financial institution fraud, like, you know, uh, sec- uh now you have CISO, CISOs, right. Uh, pretty much every bank has a CISO, et cetera. Yep. Uh, and, you know, security is also taught in schools and universities. But is fraud taught in schools and universities? No. 
how many people do you know who become a victim of fraud? Pretty much all of us can name someone, right? right? right. Uh, so it has to come from like this uh, change all the way from education. And, uh, you know, we are all now carrying like uh, our entire wealth in our pockets, right? Like in our, in our mobile phone, right? Like all my uh, banking, brokerage, uh, crypto apps on my phone, if I lose it, I'm toast, right? So I'm pretty sure like the next generation, they're gonna, of people, they're gonna be very, very conscious about fraud. They'll start asking the right questions. And that's one way you will get that sea change. And therefore, uh, the, the smart and the savvy fintechs uh, will quickly realize that they need to have a C-level exec, uh, if they don't already have one, who is directly reporting to the CEO, who is in charge of fraud prevention, and whose job is all about finding the best-in-class fraud product so that they can really use fraud as a differentiator for uh, uh, for the product and therefore, in turn, have the best customer experience as well. And, and I think just to add to that, Jim, on the yeah. on the financial institution side, AML we were shot right up the yeah. the agenda in the in the past sort of ten fifteen years. And and your chief risk officer tends to spend a lot of time focusing on that subject. But if you look at the headlines around some of the scams, you know Zelle and peer to peer payments apps like Venmo and others, um, those scams uh, are headline news in the in the mainstream press. Right. And taking up a so when in, when that happens, that takes up mind share in the boardroom amongst the investors. It affects the share price. This becomes something that really meaningfully impacts not just the bottom line of the the revenue coming through the door, but the the actual long term potential value and reputation risk of of that financial institution. And unless you can start to really meaningfully understand, you know, where are the threats in in faster payments and faster fraud, then you are going to be left out in the lurch and dealing with all of these challenges. And I know a lot of financial institutions are, are, are wrestling with that today. Uh, and a lot of them have sophisticated fraud controls and fraud teams, um, many providers and vendors in there, but that we can all do better. And to, to Supes' point earlier, part of that is peering into the black hole. Part of that is understanding what's what's out there and what you could see in some of those high-risk sectors and what you can learn about the faster payments that are already happening with folks like Sardine and, and its clients who, you know, are able to start sharing some of that data. So, you know, to, to the question, why would somebody say no? I think on the financial institution side, it's, well, we already take this seriously. Ah, but do you realize this hurts over here? There's this peering into the black holes problem. Oh, yeah, no, we haven't thought of that. How do you solve it? Or, yes, that's been bugging us for a while. What can we do about it? And um, Soups did a great panel in FinTech DevCon in Denver um, a, a couple of months back where, you know, we got um, Shamir Karkul from formerly of Simple, yep. now Sela. Um, we got um, folks from Alloy and elsewhere. And the consensus of folks that have been industry veterans that have built multiple fintech companies was exactly that point. Fraud isn't a problem as a fintech company until it's the only problem. And we convince ourselves that having a KYC process prevents fraud. It does not. Right. Most of the fraud will come from properly verified customers. So whether it's scams that are this itch that you can't scratch, this problem that just won't go away as a financial institution, or whether it's you're about to drive off a cliff and lose a load of money and end up in this thing called a chargeback program, but don't worry, we can help. Uh, it really depends on who the buyer is and what what's most problematic for them. You know, Soups, on, on, on that same subject, you know, or a little alternate, alternative to that subject, 
in talking to a lot of solution providers, you know, a lot of solution providers have great solutions, but when they start to implement it at a financial institution, at a partner, the partner says, well, I like everything you got, but I, I want to do this and this the way I used to do it. And it really undermines the strength of your platform. What are the areas that financial institutions, fintech firms, crypto companies, anybody you work with, what is an area as an example, where somebody says, well, I liked everything you've done, but this is one thing I want to change, but it really negatively impacts the effectiveness of Sardine. I, yeah, I would say, uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, that, that is indeed true. A lot of times they would say, uh, yeah, I don't want to embed your SDK in my app or that I don't want to, you know, uh, uh, use your device behavior signals. Uh, then, then you know, it's it's really just a matter of uh, uh, you know uh, understanding where that you know uh, where that challenge in from their point of view is coming from. Right. Uh, and I we have actually been pretty successful. So uh, pretty much every one of our customers has uh, is required to actually embed our SDK in their in their app or in the front end or on the website, right? Uh, and you know, oftentimes the challenge when we when we dig deeper, the challenge uh, from their point of view comes from, hey, uh, you're gonna increase the size of our app. Uh, the answer to that is that you know it's only 100 kilobytes. The second uh, uh, rebuttal comes from, hey, uh, are you gonna ask for permissions that uh, we don't want to ask our consumers for? And we've already thought about that as well. We actually don't ask for any other permissions beyond what you usually give in your app, right? So, uh, and then, yeah, the final challenge usually comes from, hey, it'll take my engineers a lot of time to integrate it. And then we've had customers who have integrated our JavaScript SDK in one hour. It's that simple. And we've had customers who have integrated our mobile SDKs on Android or iOS and published it on the app stores and gotten it reviewed and approved in, in a week, right? So once we work through all those, uh, you know, we, we've had like, uh, you know, 100% success rate because we, we wouldn't be able to service them if they don't have better SDK. So, Simon, you know, one thing that's happened recently is your firm's gotten a lot of really strong investments from venture capital firms at a time when actually the industry for venture capital has softened quite a bit. Alloy Labs also, a smaller a firm that represents smaller organizations, has also invested in your solution for their consortium of smaller banks. How quickly can a, a fintech firm or a traditional finance institution actually implement your solution? I mean, extremely quickly. I think I don't know what the record is, soups, but you know, it, it's twenty lines of code and go. Um, like the we've had folks, I think, in less than a week from wow. you know initial contact to live. Um, like th th that's that's quite common for for very small companies and 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 kind of the modern nature of technology. But a financial institution, we can go faster than you guys can. Um, the question right. really is, what's your procurement exactly. process yep. and where do we fit? Um, so ultimately, where do we fit will depend where it hurts. Um, and the, the, the answer to that will be uh, different for everybody. Uh, at that point, we become more right. like a personal trainer, sort of trying to understand the, the, the organization in front of us and, and how they get better. Uh, and, and ultimately, uh, Soup said it, uh, we believe in safer, faster payments. Money is better when it moves faster. Mer um, merchants get paid sooner. They can hire staff quicker. Consumers can deal with emergencies. You know, They can get the direct put deposit sooner. 
that's all fantastic, but it just creates a much more of a fraud risk. So if we want that social outcome, if we want the increased revenues, then we have to figure out fraud first. And that's that's sort of the, the middle of everything. And I think what's happened is as uh, fintech companies have started to focus more on the cost line item, you know, suddenly the realization right. that they were losing a lot of money to fraud might have kicked in, but also that realization that uh, you know if somebody can't load their wallet, if they are having a conversion issue, that's going to impact the amount somebody can spend on a day-to-day basis. So you know the the timing for sardine is is fantastic on on that front, and then the timing in terms of you know sort of the the faster payments coming in with FedNow, with Zelle, with uh, the increased use of Venmo and Cash App. You know Venmo just went live with Amazon, for instance. Right. These are payments mechanisms that are becoming the default. And so, you know, it's really, really good from from that perspective. And, and internationally, you know, um, Soups has worked at Revolut. I've worked in the UK for some time. We have a, quite a great deal of experience dealing with faster payments as the default and some of the challenges that come with that. So, Soups, what do you see as the major fraud trends that you see in the future and how can financial institutions continue to protect themselves? I mean, what, what do you see in the future as being the biggest challenges, I guess? Yeah, I, w- I would say a couple of things, right? So, uh, so first one is card fraud, and the second one is APP or authorized push payment fraud, right? So, card fraud. Uh, yeah, uh, si- since uh, Jim, a lot of your listeners are probably from the uh, the traditional ba- uh, finance, which is banking side. Uh, one one thing that we have realized is that you know when people are lo- using cards to buy crypto at a crypto firm or when they're uh, using their debit card to load money into a neobank wallet, the conversion rate is actually pretty poor, right? It, it's anywhere in the range of 60 to 70%. So I would argue that the other 30 to 40% are not really fraudsters, right? Maybe, you know, uh, only like a slight sliver of them are actually fraudsters. Mm-hmm. But that then means that all the banks which are issuing cards, they're actually leaving money on the table and a significant amount of money on the table, right? Crypto is now, you know, an industry which uh, can definitely, even in the crypto venture, it's it's not something uh, that can be ignored, right? And we we dug deeper and we realized that, you know, the reason why uh, issuing banks are not able to, uh, you know, different, uh, to, not, not able to have a high enough conversion rate is because perhaps their fraud algorithms don't have the level of data that they really should, right. which is why... They think that, you know, anybody loading money into a wallet or buying crypto gets tagged with a high MCC, uh, high risk uh, uh, MCC code or merchant category code. And therefore, uh, anytime they see uh, this MCC, then they just flag it. Right. So it's as good as a random coin toss. What we would like to do, though, is we we actually are now plugged in uh, to most of the top crypto exchanges and crypto firms and the new banks. So we see. Uh, a user's behavior when they're trying to load money in a wallet or buy crypto, right? So our pitch now to the banks is, hey, at the time when you have to make a decision on whether to allow your card to be used to load funds, just make a real-time call to Sardine's Risk Insights API and we'll give you a much deeper visibility all the way into whether the card number was copy-pasted or did it get autofilled from the browser? Did the consumer use a proxy or a VPN, et cetera, et cetera? Then that you can then use to increase your conversion rate and actually not leave that much money on the table. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsors of this podcast. 
we'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. You know, obviously the, the solution you provide is, is unique to the marketplace and the, the problem's only getting bigger. Um, before we finally uh, wrap up the show, I wondered from each of you, is there anything that you'd like to leave behind as a, as a message? Because I think, you know, as you said, it's not a problem till it's a really big problem. But we all know it's out there. It's not going to get smaller. It's going to get bigger. It's going to get more yeah. challenging. So both Soups and Simon, are, are there any any message you'd like to leave with the audience that listens to this podcast? Yeah. So the other thing that I, uh, Jim, I was getting into is authorized push payment fraud. So maybe I can weave that in yeah. as the final message as well, yeah. right? So, uh, so yeah, like I've been in the space like cybersecurity fraud for like 15 plus years. And now I realize that, uh, you know, Every single neobank, when they launch, they have fraud. Every single crypto exchange, when they launch, they have fraud. In fact, every single payment network, when it launches, it has fraud. Like, you know, uh, uh, Zelle, and I'm pretty sure when RTP uh, is, is highly prevalent and Fed now, when they're highly prevalent, they'll have humongous amounts of fraud, right? Because, you know, the fundamental way we think about money is completely shifting, right? right. Uh, it's like instant, it's fast, and it's attracting like very, very novel ways of uh, uh uh, uh, of perpetrating fraud. And uh, what we therefore need to do is, you know, uh, instead of thinking about, you know, these new networks as just simply message pass passing interfaces, right? We need to actually have an entity like Sardine or maybe others come in and say, hey, we are confident in our fraud algorithms. We will help rid this network of fraud. And we won't let, you know, uh, consumers be in the way of harm. Uh, you can, the networks can continue to be message passing and uh, they can't, uh, we understand they can't get into taking on the fraud liability, but Sardine can. And in that regards, you know, even with, uh, uh, you know, rise in faster payment fraud, like Zell scams, et cetera, uh, once, there's a net, once there's an entity which comes in and says, we, we're going to rid the system of fraud, it inspires more confidence. Uh, you know, we will provide technique technologies like, you know, confirmation of payee or counterparty risk assessment to really assess if I'm sending money via Zelle or RTP to Simon, do I know Simon? Is Simon trustworthy? Has Simon defrauded other people in the network? So that is our end uh, strategic uh, goal, to be this real agnostic uh, fraud system, which you know, works across Visa, MasterCard, crypto, uh, and all the other faster payment methods. Great. Yeah. Simon, any, any last thoughts on your part? Yeah, I think the big thing for me and, and why I got attracted to Sardine in the first place is just how counterintuitive this stuff is. You think that it's fraud versus experience. You think that it's, uh, you know, a new fraud tool means more pain for my customers or it's something that I have to do, that it's, that it's uh, an, a tax on the business. But the reality is this is 
fuel for the business if you do it right. And doing it right means moving safer, moving faster. Uh, Safer, faster payments is what I truly believe in. And if we unlock that, we unlock the whole economy, we unlock more revenue, we unlock better experiences for consumers. So, you know, get in touch, drop us uh, a line, um, drop it, say hello at sardine.ai and and check out our website. Um, And I'd love to speak to any listener that's curious about you know, what, what are the things that we could all do to make the industry better? Because frankly, it, it bothers me that the elderly are targeted. It bothers me that people are losing their entire 401k and life savings. It bothers me that this is normal and becoming more normal. In the past, uh, in 2021, scams targeting the elderly in particular were up more than 70% yeah. according to the FTC. Right. As we go into digital, where as we go into faster payments, we're creating all of these social issues and all of these customer issues that first show up as complaints. They don't show up as a fraud problem. But uh, one of my pieces I'm working on at the moment is called We Don't Have a Fraud Problem. Uh, Because so many people walk around believing they don't have a fraud problem, and then they implement something like Sardine and go, oh, wait, you know, this is this is incredible. We were getting less complaints. We're seeing higher conversion. And that's 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 not what you expect. It just doesn't make sense. Right. It's like gravity going backwards. How is this possible? Well, really, it's because that when it comes right down to it, risk, fraud, and compliance are financial services. Everything is risk. Well, you know, it's interesting, Simon. On the alternative side of that same coin of somebody saying, we don't have a problem, it's for the consumer or the merchant to believe that everything is a problem. That, you know, we, yeah. we the more and more often we're hearing people say, no, I don't want to do any payments on my phone because it's too risky. And you go, oh, my God, no, you're, blow, you're blowing me away on these things. But everybody hears their story. And the more stories there are, the harder it's going to be. And I think, you know, soups to one of your comments earlier, we have to make sure that this doesn't become additive. You know, I, I think financial institutions tend to do, do things where they go, okay, I'll take yours plus what we had before, plus what we had before. You go, no, no, we got to rethink this whole yeah. thing because the more we, financial institutions love to add things. We, we, we love to think, <laughs> I don't want to get rid of what we have. We'll just put something else on top of it, which makes the whole program broken even worse because you're, somebody else is leaving people out. And, and from my perspective, the most frustrating thing is there's some very large financial institutions in the United States that will not use organizations that can make it so I can make payments or transfer of funds between X and Y or but to my Acorns account because of the fraud issues. And you go, guys, you're answering the wrong question. By not allowing me to do this does not solve your fraud problem. It really undermines your customer experience problem. And when we're in your, when you're one of the only organizations of your size that isn't allowing this interaction, isn't allowing this transaction to take place, people will move their money. I mean, I've done it already. Others have done it. So, you know, again, thank you very much for yeah. being on the show and, and for talking about the challenges, because I think, you know, there are solutions out there. We have to make sure we don't get in our own way. I, I, I use American football as my analogy, but it's one thing to hand off the ball to somebody and say, run down the field. It's another thing to then lay on the field and make it difficult for them to, to run seamlessly. And, and we've got to get out of our own way when we're trying to implement these solutions as well. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoyed today's interview, please give our show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. 
Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, the payments process is only as good as the fraud prevention. And only with good fraud prevention are you going to create a great customer experience. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate.